the host of Voices for the Frontlines, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. I think we have a great show for you today. I said I think, but I hope you do. First, after I introduce the show, we're going to listen to headlines from Amy Goodman. Then I'm going to be doing a commentary of the catastrophe of Speaker Kevin McCarthy's concessions and what the right wing won out of him when he's already the right wing. But then also the hypocrisy of Hakeem Jeffries, who is a very articulate, the first black minority leader of the Democratic Party, who gave a fantastic speech, except it has nothing to do with what the Democrats really do or plan to do. So then I'm going to be talking to Channing Martinez about our very exciting Bus Riders Union campaign today that we need your help on. It's called Free Public Transportation Now. We're not asking the MTA anymore after 30 years to pass free public transportation. We're taking it on the buses, on the trains. We're both asking bus riders and train riders not to pay the fare now so we can make it free now. We're asking the police to keep their hands off us. And we're basically supporting a lot of the people that are already saying the hell, I'm already having free public transportation now. And now the bus riders union is supporting me. So with that, let's listen to Amy Goodman and the key news stories of today. Goodman. Republicans in the House of Representatives have approved a new rules package that'll gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. The measure will force out three of the four Democrats currently serving on the office's board of directors and will severely limit the office's ability to hire new workers, including investigative staffers. Another provision in the new rules package allows a single lawmaker to force a vote on ousting the House Speaker. It was a concession made by newly minted Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to win the support of far-right members of his party. Democrats also warned McCarthy appears to have struck informal agreements with fellow Republicans. This is Massachusetts Democratic Congressmember Jim McGovern. You know, everybody's talking about transparency and openness. It would be nice if there was a little bit more transparency and openness from the other side. This is backroom politics. That's what this is about. Secret deals that no one's going to know anything about until it's too late. In their first order of business, Republicans approved legislation slashing funding to the IRS in a party-line vote, 221 to 210. Critics say the bill is designed to protect wealthy individuals and corporate tax cheats. In Brazil, at least 1,500 people have been detained since Sunday's assault on the Brazilian Congress, Supreme Court, and Presidential Palace by supporters of the former far-right President Jair Bolsonaro in the capital, Brasilia. Brazil's Justice Minister Flavio Dino spoke Monday. The former president of the republic, Jair Bolsonaro, and all of his followers, for example, frequently targeted attacks against the Supreme Court. That is why I say that words have power, especially when they are words of the president of the republic. The president exercises factual material powers, but also exercises symbolic powers, which include the power of words. What we witnessed was that this frequent discourse in social media gained legs, arms, stones, bullets, bombs. Here in the United States, a group of Democratic Congress members, including Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are urging President Biden to expel 
Bolsonaro from the U.S. The far-right leader has been staying in Orlando, Florida, after he fled Brazil ahead of the inauguration of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva last week. Bolsonaro faces at least four criminal probes in Brazil. He was admitted to a Florida hospital Monday after complaining of intestinal pain, one day after his supporters stormed the government buildings in Brasilia. In Peru, at least 17 people were killed Monday after Peruvian security forces opened fire at anti-government protesters in the city of Juliaca. At least two teenagers were among the dead. Protesters are demanding the interim president, Dina Boluarte, resign. Some 40 people have died nationwide since mass mobilizations erupted in Peru last month following the ouster and arrest of the leftist former president, Pedro Castillo. Police in Juliaca reportedly opened fire as protesters tried to shield themselves with metal plates. I was holding my camera when a police officer asked me to kneel while pointing a gun at me. Then I heard a shot and I felt my foot blocked. Then I felt a cramp. I took four steps and I fell on the ground because I couldn't walk. Meanwhile, Peru's new government has banned former Bolivian President Evo Morales from entering Peruvian territory in response to Morales' support for Pedro Castillo. Morales has also accused Dina Boluarte's government of human rights violations against protesters. Israel's new far-right governments revoked entry permits for Palestinian Foreign Minister Riyad al-Malki and three Fatah officials in retaliation for their effort to bring the illegal occupation of Palestinian territories to the International Court of Justice. This is Palestinian Foreign Ministry advisor Ahmed al-Diq. These measures will not stop us and will not stop the foreign minister and the Palestinian leadership from continuing our political and diplomatic legal efforts to protect the fair national legitimate rights of our people and to uncover the violations and the crimes of the occupation. Israel's security cabinet also moved to withhold $39 million in revenues from the Palestinian Authority and imposed a moratorium on Palestinian construction projects in the occupied West Bank. Meanwhile, Israel's national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, has ordered police to remove Palestinian flags from public spaces, calling their display a, quote, form of supporting terror. Palestinian-American author Yusuf Munayir tweeted in response, quote, Israel holds an entire stateless nation under military occupation. They got enough nukes to start a regional conflagration, but they fear a piece of cloth, unquote. Over the weekend, thousands of people demonstrated in Tel Aviv against the new Israeli government and the increasing threats it poses to democracy and human rights. So, hey, everybody, that was really good news headlines. Now is Eric Mann, and we're going to be talking about making news in Los Angeles as well. But first, I'm going to talk to you about some commentary on how Speaker Kevin McCarthy's concessions will cost America, an article by uh, Ed Kilgore. But I want to go further how the Republican Party is going to really tie up Congress and how the Democratic Party is not going to fight very hard. And how you and I have to form some third force in the world, I don't know how, but we'll start by marching with the Bus Riders Union for free public, tra free public transportation now. So let me start reading from this article and then I'll make commentaries. He goes into Gil Kilgore, 
the concessions that are just for the benefit of Matt Gates and Scott Perry and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the really right-wing lunatics who are the right-wing of the overall right-wing lunatics, which are the Republicans. But he has some good points that I want you to listen to. So he calls them concessions that endanger the whole country. A couple of concessions are of urgent concern to the country as a whole, precisely because they leave nothing to McCarthy's discretion. Both involve spending issue where there's a vast gap between the House rebels, that is right-wing rebels, who nearly derailed McCarthy, and most Republican as well as Democratic members of Congress. One compromise basically promised that the House would never pass an omnibus appropriation bill again, holding votes on 12 separate appropriation bills instead. The problem here is that Congress has routinely relied on omnibus bills in recent years, not just to quote high controversial spending items, but because it's proved impossible to get separate bills through Congress by the end of each fiscal year. Last year, for example, six appropriation bills made it through the House and zero made it through the Senate. In effect, the House is now demanding that both chambers now do something they've been unable to do for decades. It's a recipe for fiscal gridlock, government shutdowns, and at best, a system in which the government chugs along on the powering of continuing revolution resolutions. I wish they were revolutions. Stop-gap spending bills that keep spending levels the same, which is likely what the MAGA conservatives want. So ironically, instead of the deep and thoughtful review of federal spending the rebels claim to want, this promise will probably produce at least two years of keeping the federal government on automatic pilot when it comes to spending priorities. So let me explain how I read that. The problem with a corrupt, imperialist country is you can't reform it. So whatever you do, whatever reform you make, doesn't work. So for instance, an omnibus bill means that they'll pass the defense bill, they'll pass a housing bill, they'll pass a schools bill, five other bills in one, and the total appropriation is $1.7 billion or trillion in this case, 1.7 trillion. Now what's good about that? Pretty much nothing. Because if you actually look at the bills, every congressperson has snuck in something in there for their own district in order to pass it. I mean, there's billions and billions of dollars of not just waste, but full corruption that everybody knows, but you want my vote? I want a rail line in my district, says the MT. You want my vote? I want more money for prisons. You want my vote? I want less money for prisons. But by the time you're finished, all the people who do budget analysis tell you those omnibus bills are horrible. Now, what's the problem? The other problem is that what's the alternative? The Republicans are saying there can no longer be an omnibus on the bus bill. It's interesting with the bus riders here, you know, having trouble saying on the bus as opposed to on the bus. But the alternative is every single bill is going to come up separately. 
Now, the good thing about that is you can look at the defense budget and vote it up or down. You can look at the housing budget and vote it up or down. But in reality, almost none of those bills are going to pass. And because there'll be so much opposition and people can't sneak in as much into the bill. The problem then is you can't raise the defense budget, but you can't cut it. You can't raise money for schools, but you can't cut it, although they'll figure out some way how. So basically the concept is that the budget, as they say, is going to just chug along. Now, for you and I, we have no influence on this process, none whatsoever. We've never had it in our life. Only these groups in Washington who track every single budget item, who say everybody should oppose this and vote for that, they track it. But none of us have the capacity to track it. So this is a catastrophe, which is on one level, no omnibus bills. On the other level, the individual bills are lousy too. Welcome to life under imperialism, which is why I don't listen to CNN too much, because they're always going, the Republicans did this, and the Democrats did this, and this committee. But you need to know that's just what happened. Um, Check this out. Fiscal gridlock will become even more likely thanks to another McCarthy concession, again, to Matt Gates, Scott Perry, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and other of the more lunatic group. Opening up appropriate bills <laughs> to amendments from any member. Can you imagine that? That virtually guarantees weeks or even months of posturing and demagoguery uh, for members of both parties, actually, on most, if not all, of the individual appropriations bill. And again, potentially insoluble conflicts within the Senate, which won't undertake this nonsense. Let me explain that. All these people who are elected, you know, with a few exceptions, the squad, and I think I run out of exceptions already, Bernie Sanders, they're dogs. And they're only in Congress to get elected and to get something for themselves and then, of course, get something for their district, which is called uh, boondoggle and uh, other things, so they can say, look, I got money to keep the defense plant open in my district. I got money for your schools, but mostly I got money for more cops. Something right-wing that they want to tell you. I got money for anti-abortion groups. Can you imagine if everybody is able to make an amendment? In the past, what happens is they cut the deal behind closed doors. The Democrats and Republicans cut a deal and ask you to vote it up or down. Now, on, the, on behalf of the great district of whatever, in Missouri, in Alabama, I make a motion that we vote $2 trillion for the defense budget instead of about a trillion. Is that going to be voted up or down? It's insane. So here's the fundamental problem, and I don't know if I can explain it well. In a healthy society, you still have lots of problems, but fundamentally, the military budget would be cut in by 80%, and whether it's an omnibus military budget or an individual military budget, we all agree 
it should be either nothing or, you know, 90% cut on what it is. That we should have no federal funding for prisons. We should have massive federal funding for black schools in particular and getting every black student up to or ahead of their grade. None of that is happening. The system is deteriorating. So McCarthy, if he didn't have problems from the arch-right, is the arch-right. So we now have an America where there's an arch-right, an extreme-right, an alt-right, a lunatic-right, and I'll be honest with you, I can barely tell the difference sometimes, who's who. So that's the Republican side of the story. And congratulations to Kevin McCarthy on the 15th or 27th vote. After giving away half the store, you got elected, allegedly, to Speaker of the House, except there's also another motion that says they can call for a vote on you at any given time. They can, and that's right, they can recall you at any given time. So, you want this job? Congratulations, you got it. Now, we move to uh, Hassan Jeffries. And, you know, here's the, the clever thing in how the country runs. Obviously, before he hands the gavel over to uh, McCarthy, he's going to give a speech. Because he was the, you could say, outgoing majority leader after Nancy Pelosi handed it over to him. He's now the minority leader because the uh, Repub the Democrats have only 202 votes in the House, and I think that the, the uh, Republicans have 210. So, and don't send me an email correcting it by one or two votes. Thank you. So. You're listening to Hassan Jeffries, and it's so bankrupt, in my opinion. So much posturing, so much rhetoric. So, you know, his speech was fun for a minute, you know, if I just suspended disbelief. So he gets up and he says, uh, oh, first, I can't stand this, we extend and intend to try and find common ground whenever and whenever possible on behalf of the so-called American people. So right away, it's always the Democrats are reaching across the aisle to the fascists, making sure to Democratic voters, I am not sectarian, I am not a hostile person, even though they are passing a bill to lynch people, passing a bill to take away people's abortion rights, Let's show how reasonable the Democratic Party is, which contributes to fascism. Because they don't call it like they see it, because half their party is fascists. So they have to be careful. Now, uh, Jeffries is a very liberal person. I get that. Probably a good person. i got to learn more about him. But listen to his speech. So he says, after that, uh, he said, Democrats will never compromise our principles, which is fine if I knew that the Democrats had any principles. The newly sworn in Democratic leader followed this pledge with the most impressive part of his speech, listing each principle literally from A to Z. He began making it clear Democrats reject so much that has come to define Trumpism, 
quote, House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslight, hopefulness over hatred. And before we go on my remarks, Jeffrey said, I want to make sure that we invade China, that we bring U.S. troops into the South China Sea, that we keep a million black people in prison where they belong, uh, that we destroy the bus system in Los Angeles, that we support the CIA, the FBI, keep up the police state. Oh, let me get back to my general principle. Jeers vied with applause in the House when he reached the middle of this poetic language with a dig at Trump. Maturity over Mar-a-Lago. Now, we've been going on the bus talking to bus riders, and we always have to talk to them that we support maturity over Mar-a-Lago. And their answer is always the same, WTF. What in the world are you talking about? Doesn't matter. We don't have Democrats on the bus, so we don't have to worry. But this is the kind of madness that reflects our so-called two-party system. Then he goes on. Jeffrey continues with an alphabetical recitation of what Democrats will defend and reject. Quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, I'm crying, I don't know if I can get through this. Understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression. He sent people Googling the definition of one word when he reached the letter X and said, Zenial over xenophobia. In this concept, Zenial means warm, welcoming, and hospitable, or denial. Jeffrey brought this passage to a close with the line, Zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. Shortly thereafter, by vowing Democrats will, quote, always do the right thing by the American people. Now, that's very inspiring in the following way. McCarthy said he's going to get rid of all the IRS representatives, so you can't enforce the taxes. McCarthy said he's going to pass an anti-abortion law. McCarthy said... That interestingly, he does not want to send troops to the Ukraine, does not want him for that, but he's going to pass the whole bill. McCarthy had 27 specifics, because the right wing is not stupid. The right wing wants stuff. The right wing knows if they get stuff. If they don't get stuff, you're out. The Democratic liberals are contemptible, idiotic, and they're on a, a drug where we support denial in the word they never heard of, over xenophobia. Oh, great. What in the world does that mean? You know, at the Strategy Center, we call demand development. We want 50% cut in the police. We want no police on the buses and trains. We want no police in the schools. We want stop U.S. attacks on China, Venezuela, Cuba, Russia, and the Third World. We want immediate, safe abortion, legal abortion for all women. 
millions and millions of dollars for safe houses for women that are battered by male violence. We want 8,000 U.S. military bases. 800 or 8,000? 800. 800. 800 military bases shut down uh, immediately. Well, it cut the defense budget by 90% immediately. When the CIA shut down, the FBI shut down. That's funny. Son Jeffries did not mention any of those things. Why? Because that is not the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is a center-right imperialist party who invented Donald Trump. They invented McCarthy. Because by having these people out there set the conversation so far to the right, they sneak in and become one inch to the left of them, and the majority of the Democratic voters are thrilled that they're not Republicans. Now, back in the day, revolutionary movements, popular movements, Dr. King was always making very specific demands on the system. And after listening to the madness and hypocrisy of the Democrats and Republicans, we're going to listen to a great song called Aguanile by Hector Lavoe, and then we're going to listen to a real human being, Channing Martinez, who's an anti-imperialist, anti-racist organizer with the Labor Community Strategy Center. And see, I hope you can see that you can tell the difference. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. And now Hector Lavoe with Awanile and listen to the Wawongo rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't, in case I messed up, 
but thanks to my teacher Richard Marquez and thanks to the amazing Hector Lavo. You can also see the film El Cantante with um, Mark Antony and uh, Jennifer Lopez who play the life of Hector Lavoe and Mark Anthony is pretty spectacular. I don't know if you think of him just as a pop star, but he's sensational. And he also sings a great version of Aguanile. So you can go on YouTube and listen first to the Hector Lavoe, and then he plays Hector Lavoe in the, mu in the movie, in the film, and does an amazing job with it. So this is one of my favorite songs. I play it pretty much every day. And uh, hope you like it. So now we're going to turn to a real newsmaker, not a fake newsmaker, uh, Jenny Martinez, who's the director of organizing of the Labor Community Strategy Center, a graduate of uh, Audubon, I always like to say, Audubon Middle School and Crenshaw High School and Otis College of Art and Design and the Communist Manifesto, so he's, you know, studied a lot of different places. How you doing, Channing? I'm doing pretty well. Well, one thing is, let's start with telling our listeners, what is free public transportation now? Well, as one passenger said to me on Friday... Oops, I'm sorry. As one passenger said to me on Friday, um, if it ain't free, it ain't public. I thought that was a great formulation. I said, we're going to use that. Um, let me, uh, is it okay if we use that? And he said, of course, use it as much as you can. Another passenger said to me, well, that's the only price I can afford. Sorry. They're pretty smart out there. Very good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really great for, with formulation. So right. that is what it is. It's that it's public because you have paid through your taxes. And so public trans uh, metro gets you know about ninety percent of its budget through taxes and and government grants, and so you know that's what free public transportation is. So after thirty years, we should have done it before. We've done it before, but why now? Free public transportation now. I mean, anybody can say it, but what are we doing differently as a bus riders union? to make that anything more than just an interesting conversation on the radio? Well, we've been talking about it for all of COVID. And one thing in reflecting on it is that the bus system was free during COVID, and then it wasn't. Um, and so what it proved to us, or at least for me, you know, I've been organizing with the bus riders union for now a very long time. <laughs> um, and we've been talking about free public transportation and while we have all dreamed about it and wrote plans about it, if I learned anything from COVID, it proved that it's possible. Um, and so the big difference that we're doing now is that we're not—we're no longer just going to the Metro Board and going into their systems and you know calling on them to implement free public transportation. If we're organizers, we have the right and we have the capacity to organize bus riders to just take free public transportation, and that's what we're doing. Uh, we started off going, doing observations last week um, while also paying our tab cards. And then by the end of the week, we started saying we're going to go on the buses without paying as an example and show people that it's possible. Um, and so that's what we've been doing. 
Well, the other thing we're trying to do, obviously, is raise mass consciousness, you know, because with the new mayor, Karen Bass, and having four votes on the MTA board, and we know having spoken to her before the election, we know her, admire her actually, uh, she's indicated that she's very interested in free public transportation. But as organizers, it's our job to call the question so that Mayor Bass can say, I agree with the bus rise union and let's pass that at the MTA board. Right. Yeah. But until then, who else is going on the bus with you? So it's been myself, there's been Emily Zamora, um, who's a young organizer, alumni of Poetry High School. Uh, it's been Julian Lamb, who's been a member of the Bus Rise Union for a long time. Um, there's been Tammy Cardona Zambis, who's an alumni of your class at Northridge, um, Introduction to Transformative Organizing. Uh, there has been a new organizer that we're really excited about, um, uh, Aurea, um, who Blakely. Blakely, thank you. I'm sorry, my mind is not clear right now. But um, who's been going out on the buses, and she is from uh, the South and has had a lot of work in the women's movement. And then there's members of the bus riders union. There's a new member, David, who's been a bus rider for a long time. He came and discovered us last December and thought we were great. And so he came this Saturday and started kicking butt. And he talked to at least 40, 50 people this Saturday, wow. which is great. So listeners, here's the point. You know, at the Strategy Center, you know, one thing is this. You know, you have a lot of commentators on, let's just say a lot of stations, including this one. But almost none of them are organizers. So since I was 21 and you work with the Congress of Racial Equality, you know, we used to say, well, opinions are like... Uh, a lot of the black folks on the bus are houseless right now. Um, a lot of them are saying, well, I've done it anyways and I'm excited to participate. Um, the other thing is that we have moved to upping our level of militancy, which has been a really important step for myself personally, which I can talk about that later. But also, it's made a really important intervention on the actual state of the bus. When you get on the bus, what you have seen, unlike in the 90s and the early 2000s, what I have seen is really a state of get out. And I mean get out like the movie. That you get on the bus and there's a series of people who are just blank. They are, it's almost as if they are operating like machines input into a system, right? They are so oppressed, so repressed that they just don't... The bus, awkwardly, is the only space that they have for themselves internally. And so most people are just in their head, rethinking and thinking their lives. And so when we get on the bus, we shout, free public transportation now, it kind of smacks them out of that. And so that's been a really uh, important intervention as well. Well, one thing is we're committed to at least 60 straight days of going out because one of the things we have these beautiful yellow t-shirts that we've had for 30 years in fact a lot of the people on the bus say oh yeah there's the people in the yellow shirts and um, we're trying to reconstruct consciousness under very difficult different circumstances for instance the main time that I did work on the bus and Haskell Wexler was amazing about 2003, um, 
Academy Award winning submitted, not nominated, but uh, amazing film called Bus Riders Union that you can get from us is a one hour and 30 minute documentary, but doesn't even, of coming alive of the work on the bus. And what you see in that film is how alert the people are at the time, how viable everybody looks. There's a Korean woman sitting next to a black woman, sitting next to a Latina, sitting next to an Asian Pacific Islander, sitting next to a man. And when you talk to people, there's a sort of an intellectual life, like I remember there's still in the, in the film, I came up with the concept, don't stand for racism. And in the film, there's a black man looking at the, looking at the flyer going, don't stand for racism, that's great. So now we have a different situation. I'm gonna talk about the role of women in a minute. But where there's not a so-called viable working class, where houselessness is that one of the places, as you say, where if you're houseless, that means you do not have a house. Right. So where do you go in the rain? That's right. In the heat. Just when you're tired, you go on the bus, hopefully don't pay, and sit down. Now, the MTA brings their police on the bus. They bring their fare collectors on the bus to make life a living hell for bus riders. And 50% or more of the tickets and citations go to black passengers. Now, you were saying, though, that the state of black life on the bus is very different. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, we went out at a time where many of the students are not in school. And that has always been a big thing. It did not used to be as big a thing. One thing I was reflecting on with Barbara is that the buses were full year-round, right. no matter what. Right. Um, but what we saw last week is that because students were not in school, virtually no one was on the buses. And so the only folks that we saw on the buses were folks that had to be on the buses, meaning people who were houseless or folks who still had a job. Of the viable black folks I did see, I saw very few folks that are on their way to work, mainly doing security jobs, awkwardly. Right. Um, and Actually, no, only doing security jobs. I thought there was a second one, no. Um, so I saw two black men that were on their work. They were either doing high-end security, meaning they're wearing a suit, or they're doing you know, the regular low-end security. Um, but aside from that, all of the other black folks I was speaking to, they, are, they have either gone through employment discrimination or they're they're currently actively in a case where they've just been fired and they're trying to challenge the firing. And it's fired over silly things, like the way that you have spoken or responded to your boss. As, you know, one thing I'm reflecting on with one of our members is that oftentimes employers snap back at that, but they, you know, it's not taken into account that black people respond in a certain way. It doesn't mean we're trying to be respectful. That's just our regular demeanor. Um, and Dis you made regular disrespectful demeanor, <laughs> <laughs> or regular enthusiastic demeanor, right? <laughs> or, or just challenging. You know, if you ask a black employee, "Do this," they'll often ask, "Why?" Yeah, 
Right. Or they'll respond, we have done it this way. Is right. there a reason why we're doing it a different way? Right. But they say it in a different way, and they're not met with the same amount of respect that they're, they're giving them. That's correct. Box, right? So listen, everybody, you're on Pacifica Radio. You're on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web to our friends around the country and the world on KPFK dot org uh, you know we used to call it we have a lot of different names for the show voices from the front lines your national building movement building show because we're trying to build a movement voices from the front lines wake up and smell the revolution because we want you to wake up and smell the revolution the reason I want you to support Channing and the team including Akuna Uka and the other people that are going out is because many years ago when Haskell Wexler, imagine this is in, I don't know when, 1998 or something, he spoke to uh, Michelle Pritchard, who was a, a good friend of the strategy centers of mine, and she was um, at Liberty Hill at the time, still is, I believe, in different, just different, different capacities, including director. And Haskell said to Michelle, I want to make a film about something revolutionary. Now, the strategy center doesn't throw the word revolution around lightly. We don't often use it. But when we use it, we mean a revolutionary opposition to the system, a revolutionary resistance, which is why Leanne Hurstman wrote Towards a Program of Resistance. Because we're not working for socialism. Because we don't think you can have socialism in a white settler state. We're working for anti-racist, anti-imperialist resistance. So the point I'm getting to is that Haskell loved the bus riders. And I don't think we used the word revolutionary once in the film, but we were doing revolutionary work. So Channing, as somebody who has gone to the MTA now as our lead representative for over two years, what are those liberal Democrats like, which goes back to why we need free public transportation now? Uh, uh, awkwardly, they are learning a lot from us, um, but they are not, I'll say it personally, they are not like me. When I learn an idea, I give full credit to the person and the teacher that gave me that idea and I don't just take it out as if it's my own idea. I go speak to the person about the idea and figure out how can we work together to get this idea out there. That's, that is a proper way of doing things. Um, what I have seen is a lot of these groups, you know, sort of taking ideas that we've come up with, you know, at least 20, 30 years ago and taking them to a, a lesser extent to the board, right? Um, so now there's this idea of the transit ambassadors, as an example. I remember sitting on planning committee when you, you talked about let's fight for free public transportation. And did you know that on Amtrak or on other train system, they have conductors and let's fight for conductors. We went to the board right away and said, we want conductors. Now they have these transit ambassadors, which is great. I'm, I'm not criticizing it, right? But the fact that they came to the board with that, and now it's it's not even properly being used. 
as an example, the K line is the least used line of anything on the metro board. I mean, the metro system. That is the only place that these transit ambassadors are. We don't see them on the blue line where the police are harassing black and Latinx folks or where women are being uh, harassed, right? We don't see them on the buses where a lot of women are complaining about men, you know, influenced by the larger society uh, trolling women, right? We don't see them doing anything except for standing outside these empty stations. Well, you know, the thing about, you know, what it's, uh, somebody said the Democratic Party is where revolutionaries go to die. <laughs> You know, so one of the things that happens is besides the other groups, the we're not the bus riders union groups, right? Wink, wink to the MTA. Uh, tell me two or three. What's what's it been like talking to Eric Garcetti for two years? I mean, I wish I could talk to him. <laughs> that's that's number one. He refused to meet with us. I mean, the in fact, the only board member that has met directly, or there's two, is Mike Bonin and Holly Mitchell. Now, you know, they're, although they're the most liberal, you know, left-leaning people, they still have not gone far enough, in my opinion. But Garcetti has refused to meet with us, and he's sent his flunkies to meet with us. We made the mistake of meeting with them one time, and it was as if I was talking to a fire hydrant, as one person said in the BRU. Okay. So in the last uh, four minutes, Channing, you know, in I wrote a book called The Seven Components of Transformative Organizing, and I say that, you know, the revolutionary organizer, transformative organizer first tries to transform the system, and two, does try to transform the consciousness of the people with whom she or he or they are meeting. And finally, is totally transformed by the process to the point where the main person transformed is the organizer themselves. So, what are some of the new transformations that you're going through, and what are some new transformations that you're trying to figure out? And that'll be our last comment. As a you're listening to a very brilliant young organizer who's out in the field, and we need you to be out in the field. You can call us at 213-387-2800, not for money, but to get involved in our campaign, Channing at thestrategycenter.org. Uh, Channing, so tell me some of the transformations that you're going through at this very minute. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about revolution. We're still studying revolution, but one thing is we don't know it yet in our body. And so how do we move ourselves to be physically more militant and more present on the buses? So uh, now we get on the buses. We have one person that talks to the operator. The rest of us get on the bus already. Another person that is going to the back there already talking to people and flying. And then another person that just has a small bullhorn and starts you know, infiltrating the train and saying, we're on here, we're demanding free public transportation, we are taking it, Metro has promised it for three years, and this is our damn bus system, and I think you should join the fight. This is, you know, off the top of my head right now. It's good. Sounds uh, good. But we're trying to up the level of militancy, and so that is the biggest change that's happening with me and that's happening with us. And now I'm, you know, as the last thing is I'm paying attention to how we move with our bodies. 
Like, if you are in leadership, are you willing to be the first person that's rushing to the door to get to the door, or are you hanging back in hesitancy, right? And so that's the biggest change we're working on. Well, that's wonderful, and you know that uh, for people that don't know us, but by now you do, is looking in the mirror is the first thing any organizer, any person has to do because they did this and they did that and Donald Trump did this, Democrats did that, but how are you doing? And I think you're doing great. Next week we want to talk more about women on the bus. I've been doing some work and a lot of us are. We just want to say that 60% of the people on the bus are women. They're all black and Latinx and Latina. They're all either unpaid labor, super exploited labor, they all have children, they all have bags, they are often houseless, having mental problems, physical problems, and the MTA sees them as criminals. So if you're into women's liberation, there's another element to work with us, because this is definitely a fight for the black community, for the Latinx community, and for black and Latina bus riders. So this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. Wake up and smell the revolution. Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Voices from the Frontlines, let's get on the bus with the Strategy Center and the Bus Riders Union. Get on the bus. Get on the bus. Get on the bus and fight with us. Get in touch with Channing Martinez, Channing at the strategycenter.org and talk to Eric Mann Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com We need some positivity. We'd love to hear from you. And every highway And more Much more than this I did it my way Yes, regrets I've had a few But then again Too few to mention I did